Well, good morning, church. A couple, three years ago, I was traveling in Nashville, Tennessee, running down uh, 440, kind of a loop there in the city, and I happened to look up, and here comes a big septic tank truck. You know what I'm talking about? For those of you who live in rural areas, you know what I'm talking about. Septic tank truck, right? And on the side of it, it said, I kid you not, it said, Biggs Septic Tank Service. And then it said, call us Monday through Friday, colon, on weekends we haul milk. (laughs) That was a little confusing to me, right? (laughs) Disturbing is exactly right. Right, we, uh, and, and I, I've been, I don't know why I've been thinking about that, but I've been thinking about it this past week and all of the kinds of things that we're hearing and seeing and experiencing, right? Uh, the way in which the pandemic continues to uh, in, impact and infect our lives in so many ways, the disruption. Uh, I, get, I travel a lot, so I'm on a, 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 a list code thing that comes to my text that tells me when there's an uprising in Venezuela or when I'm traveling to Australia, this, that, or the other, these kinds of things. I got one this week, and it wasn't about some third world country. It was stay out of Washington, D.C. That disturbs me and confuses me, and I think it probably does you. And yet in the midst of all of that, there are other things that are happening if we're listening and watching. Like this week, I had a a person come uh, come to me and uh, confess that they had been caught up in uh, an addictive behavior and it had all broken loose and their life was being turned upside down. Could I help? And I offered a word or two, but I I thought, how do I, how can I help? Other than pray, we, we prayed together, but just the next day, another person came into my uh, office and in the course of that conversation, made the confession that they themselves were addicted to the very same kind of behavior and had been in recovery for 10 years and now was leading a recovery group for persons with that uh, challenge, that addictive behavior. And I thought, thank you, Lord, an answer to prayer. And uh, I just found out yesterday on the road uh, coming down here that those two people have found each other. And I said, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Right? There are these times and moments of mystery and wonder in our lives, of of being able to sort out, ah, in the midst of the confusion, this is what this might mean. There's a lot of ways we're paying attention in our world that we might be able to hear something remarkable happening even in the midst of mystery or in the midst of confusion. That strikes me in a a recent song by a bluegrass group. You're going to hear a little bluegrass here, folks, so hang on. I'm betraying my roots probably in this. There's a group called the Graskills. I want you to listen to a song they released in 2019 about a father listening to the questions of a daughter. Let's listen to a little bit of this. My little girl asked me, Daddy, what does God look like? Is he tall? The father, in this narrative of that song, is caught in the midst of a confusing set of questions. And then it dawns on him that the answer to all those questions is actually right there in the middle of that conversation. It's what Dustin was saying just a moment ago about your favorite song. 
where did Dustin go? Uh, right? That God is present even in the midst of those questions from that girl, from that daughter. And perhaps, just perhaps, he's present with us today. Now, I want to be able to tie that truth to this text that we heard a little bit of a few moments ago. I want us to go back into history to a day in Jerusalem, about 40 or 50 days, about 50 days after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And it was a celebratory weekend, the Pentecost, a time of feasts, and everybody had gathered into Jerusalem from all over the world. Also during that time, there were those followers of Jesus up in an upper room, and they had been waiting, and they'd been waiting, and they'd been waiting. They were probably singing the old Heinz ketchup commercial with uh, Carly Simon, right? Anticipation. You remember that one? It's making me wait. Well, I'm not Carly Simon. But the point is they were waiting with anticipation for God to show up. And he did. And he did. In that moment, the rushing of like like a rushing violent wind, and we in Texas know what that sounds could sound like, right? This mysterious thing occurred, and it blew through all of Jerusalem. And all these people from Medes, the Persians, from all over the world began to say, what does this mean in this confusing moment? What does it mean? And the answer comes to them, basically, is that God is showing up. God is coming into our presence These disciples, these early, early followers of Jesus, had made themselves available, paying attention to the possibility, actually the reality of God breaking into their world, and God did that. And it stirred up quite a set of questions. What in the world is going on here? And I'm here today as a gospel preacher to announce to you, we need that to happen again. And it needs to happen right here. I'm, I'm here to tell you as a sociologist, as a viewer of, of, of what's happening in our world, the churches are dying in, in North America. They're dying. Christianity is in decline. Uh, is that news to anyone? Churches are shrinking. They're getting older. They're getting grayer. They're getting smaller. And we scramble and wring our hands and think, how do we make our church better? How can we stem the tide? How can we do what we do in some other way so that people will come to know uh, the faith, the Christian faith, or live better lives? And it kind of makes me think about uh, a narrative that comes from Andy Stanley, who's a noted pastor in North Atlanta. He writes in his book uh, called Irresistible, a little, a little narrative. He says, I live up in North Atlanta. If you've ever been up in that country, you know what he's saying is true. He says, there are horse stables everywhere. Horse stables for the rich. Horse stables for the poor. Horse stables everywhere. Learn how to ride a horse. Trainers. Uh, you know, all, of the, all the accoutrements of, of horse country. And he says in his narrative, I've never been to any one of them. And neither have anyone in my family. He says, we're unhorsed. And then I'm picking up, quoting him now. He says, no one in our family rides horses. We're not, we're not non-horse riders because we can't find a clean stable or a qualified trainer. We're not unequestrian because we can't afford to rent or purchase a horse. 
We don't lack interest because we don't know what a horse is. Just the opposite. We know enough about horses to know that we aren't horse people. It's not what we do. If the finest horse stable in the world, if the most qualified trainers in America moved to our area, we still wouldn't go. And now he draws it in. Listen up. Post-churched and de-churched folk find even that the best churches are perfectly resistible. Why? They're not church people. It's not, that they, it's not what they do. In fact, it's not what they do anymore. It's not that they don't know what a church is. It's quite the opposite. They've seen it, and they know just enough to know that that's not for them. So creating better churches won't change that. He says, I'm all for better churches. I sit in meetings every week for that. But I am not confused. In our post-Christian culture, making better churches isn't the answer. And church, here's what I'm saying to you today. He's right. To make this church a better church is not the answer. The answer lies in seeing this become a revived church, a renewed church, a church that begins to rediscover what took place on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 and begin to embody a different church, a different kind of church. Are you up for that? Could I share a little bit more out of this text with you this morning? You see, what happens in this day, and not everybody gets it even on the day of Pentecost. Some people were saying, don't listen to those folks. They're just a bunch of drunks. You've read this, haven't you? Chapter 2. They're just a bunch of drunks. Peter says, no, no, no. It's just 9 o'clock in the morning. It's too early. Bars haven't opened yet. You're barking up the wrong tree. He says, let me tell you what's going on here. And in what follows in the book of Acts, chapter 2, could be brought together in about five ways. And I hope that you'll take close attention to these five. In fact, I'll use my fingers if it'll help, right? The first thing that Peter says in this big sermon that unfolds here, this message, is that God is, in fact, showing up. People have longed for it, they've desired it, they've wished for it, they've prayed for it, and now it's happening. And he quotes from Joel chapter 2, an Old Testament text that announces that there's going to come a time in the day of the Lord when God's going to show up and the Spirit of God is going to be unleashed and everyone will receive it. Young men, old men, women, rich, poor, slave, free, everyone will be a recipient of the power and the possibility of God showing up in their world. That is the first of the things that Peter wants to say to these folks on this day. He wants then, secondly, to remind them that it is the Spirit of God that shows up in this. And that's why I'm glad to hear Art this morning pray about us remembering and acknowledging the presence of the Spirit with us. That it's God's Spirit with us and present to us. It's what unleashed this powerful moment on the day of Pentecost, and it's what unleashes powerful movements of God today. Whether we're talking about the discovery of God's connection, as I did this past week in a bit of a struggle I had to help someone, or whether we're talking about the renewal and revival of a church. The third thing that plays itself out in this story is that it reminds us that there is a story. There is a story that gives shape to all other stories, and it's the story of Jesus Christ. 
What Peter does in this sermon is remind the folks there of Jesus' birth, his ministry, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and as we talked about last week, Peter throws in a little bit about the ascension as well in all of this. Do you see that that story of God entering into the world through the person Jesus and his ministry, his life, his death, his resurrection, that story is what shapes my story and your story. We are bound up in something that took place in history. We are connected to the work of God from the past right on into the future. That is our story that gives shape and life to our story. There is no dark place that we cannot go that Jesus has not been already through the death and resurrection, right? And so we are shaped by, and it gives contour and focus for the living of our days. We are Jesus people, which leads me to the fourth thing, and I think about it uh, on my ring finger. The, the fourth thing is that there is one, I have, I have one woman that I am loyal to. You haven't met her. Her name's Vicki. Maybe she'll come down with me sometime this spring. She hopes to. One, one woman that I am loyal to, and I have one king that I am loyal to, and his name is Jesus. He is the Messiah, the Lord, and Peter minces no words about it. Now, you might think, oh, well, of course, of course, of course, and yet I see idolatry everywhere in this land, and I struggle with it myself. What do I spend most of my time doing? Is it loyalty to Jesus Christ? Or is it to my career? Or is it to my hobbies? Or is it to my fascinations and passionations with what's going on in our country today? You see, the Jesus people understand that there is only one who is the Lord, and his name is Jesus. And we reject any other attempt to make claims about what we owe our loyalty to. That will start revolutions church and then the fifth thing that emerges out of this is that what god has started he will bring to completion in the day of jesus christ which is gobbledygook language that means this what god started he's going to finish when the day return when jesus returns and brings all things together at the end and so we live with a sense about what the future holds that helps motivate and shape and encourage us about what we do today are we ready? Are we really ready for Jesus to come? Is the way we're living our lives, the way that we are engaging in ministry, and the way in which we work in our uh, places of work, and the way in which we minister as a community of faith here, is it the kind of engagement that is preparing for the time when Jesus will return? These, these things, these five things, are what Peter is saying on this day uh, to these folks He's announcing to them uh, this remarkable set of narratives that God is showing up, that the Holy Spirit is launching this whole movement, that we have a story that's shaped by the contours of Jesus' life, death, and ministry. We are uh, bound up in our loyalty to Jesus as our King, and he is coming again. It's a wonderful sense of a wonderful response that Peter makes on this day, to that group of people in, in, on the day of Pentecost. And I kind of keep thinking, I wish I could come up with a word to describe what I've just 
uh, spoke about. Could there be a word that would, that would sum all of that up and hold it in a creative, a wonderful way? And I think I've got it. It's a Bible word. You've probably heard it before. In fact, it often gets misused in our world. It gets used for a whole host of things. We just use it manby-pamby all over the place. But when we look at the book of Acts in this sermon, and we looked at all the sermons in the book of Acts, it becomes quite clear that this word that I'm about to introduce to you means those five things that I just shared. Would you like to know what those, that word is? Maybe you already know. It's the word gospel. That is the good news. Jesus is showing up in our world. God is arriving into our space, into our brokenness, into our hopes, our dreams, our fears. He is arriving. He is coming. He is present. And guess what? The Holy Spirit is present. And guess what? It is the story of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus that gives us the way in which to interpret and work out our life and how we minister and serve. Right? And, and guess what? We claim our allegiance is to Jesus Christ and to no other. And we live eagerly and work heartily toward the restoration of all things because that's what God is up to in the world, right? And so here it is, the gospel, the word of the gospel. And you know what? It's surprising. It's not surprising to me, actually. In this story that I've been recounting, from Acts chapter 2. I want you to go home and read it this afternoon. Uh, that sermon ends up in about verse 37 or so, 36, 37. And uh, it got, the sermon got started by the question, what does it mean? What's going on? What's going on? When they hear the gospel, another question gets asked by that great crowd. Can anybody help me with that? Do you remember what the question is? that these folks ask on that day when they finally heard the gospel and it, every, the, the lights went off because they'd seen the power of the Spirit. They had seen transformative things happen. Everybody was able to hear in their own tongue. That experience of the Spirit, as it evidenced in the story of the gospel, caused them to ask the question, what shall we do? Well, technically, brothers, what shall we do, Right? And I'm asking today the same question for you. What shall we do with this? Now, in this room, I'm going to talk to about 96% of you, and then I want to talk to the 4%. For 96% of you, I've done careful study of this. For 96% of you, you've done part of the response to this. You've repented, you were baptized back in 1967, at some riverbank or some church someplace, right? Most of us in this room have done part of this, but here's the thing. I think most of us, not consciously, but sort of unconsciously, think that that, those two statements, repent and be baptized, were both once and for all events. Baptism sort of is, right? You go down into a pool of water and you react the gospel story of the death, burial, and resurrection by you being, being announced dead, being buried, and who, what does the preacher do? He raises you up in the name of Jesus Christ. You just participated in the story, right? 
That's what takes place in that tub of water back there. That's, that's another sermon for another day. What I want to say to the 96% of you is that repentance is not a moment in time. Oh, there are things that in a moment we need to repent of. Yes, a word spoken ill of, etc. But what I want to say to us today, I want you to hear this, is that repentance is a way of life. Repentance at its core, particularly in the Hebrew Bible and the Old Testament, is simply the Hebrew word to turn. It's what happens when I drove down here yesterday. I'm cruising at 75 or 80 or so miles an hour, right? And many of you know the road from here in Abilene. There's a lot of good open country. Uh, but if, if I'm not watching, that car begins to drift one way or the other, right? Have you ever noticed that driving? Right. Of course you know. What do you do? You're repenting. I repented all the way down here. I'm making course corrections all the way. Oh, a little, you don't even think about it. Oh, because what? You know instinctively you want to stay in the lines. And those of us who are Christians want to stay fully engaged in being loyal subjects of the king. To be loyal disciples of the master teacher. Right? And, and we want to embody the gospel story. And we want to be looking for the spirit of God in our life and in the lives of others. And, and so on and so forth. So we are living a life of constant turning, if that helps you. But the Bible word that we've been inherited is repentance. And so I'm calling on you to repent. I'm saying, align your life, make the corrections to fully embody the gospel story that we have spoken about today. Does that make sense? It's, it's not complicated. It is an act of us paying attention to what God is doing in our world and letting it resonate within us and say, yes, that's what I desire. I desire to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. I desire to make Jesus my king. And I'm going to correct myself. I'm going to live in a place of repentance. Oh, Lord, help me change. Let, let Align me up again. And for the 4% of you, perhaps you're here this morning and, and not immersed your, have been immersed into the gospel story to take on the narrative of Jesus Christ in baptism. And I want to simply say to you today, today would be a good day to start that journey, to explore that. And there are people here who will help you in that journey. And I'd invite you to participate in that, in that life, this gospel life that we've been talking about today. So wherever you're at this morning, we're going to sing a song uh, in just a moment. Dustin's going to come and lead us. As we sing that song, my prayer is that you'll be praying in what are the ways in which you need to turn to be fully aligned with the gospel story for the sake of God's work in the world and for the sake of your life as a disciple, as a son or daughter of God. Will you repent? Will you turn today? Let's stand together and sing.